Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with our good friend Dan Weber. Uh, he's an extraordinary columnist and beat writer for USCfootball.com. And of course, he's on the Peristyle Podcast frequently. So we're going to talk to Dan. We had a little bunch of questions that came in. I was in Las Vegas most of last week, and that's why we did a recruiting one later in the week. But we're going to do, try to get back to our regular schedule. Uh, we'll have Harvey Hyde come back again next week. So send in your questions if you have questions about the team. Kind of a slow time as far as team stuff goes right now with the the players, you know, everyone graduating, some time off before summer workouts start. But if you have any questions about the team, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail a couple different ways. Call 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer or mobile device. Also, if you like iTunes, you can subscribe. You can leave us some positive feedback there. You can leave us a rating. Go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. That's where you can find it, and it's a great way to to download the show. Whenever a new episode comes up, it'll automatically download to your device if you subscribe on iTunes. All right, well, let's bring in Dan Weber. Dan What's going on? Hopefully, you know, things slow down a little bit around here, but there's always something going on, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's a good time to maybe, t- you know, take a step back and kind of look at, you know, what what looks like might might be uh, a possibility this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably we're, you know, we, we've been able to see maybe the negatives uh, to some extent, you know, the new coaching staff or, uh, we don't have a quarterback named, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, what's going to happen with the defensive line and, and what have you. But I just, you know, tend to think sometimes we maybe undervalue the, uh, you know, the positives that, that this team has, uh, you know, going for us. So, uh, so I kind of tend to kind of go that direction to see, uh, I just read a, a quote from Pete Carroll that how Pete said, uh, uh, I guess one of the things Pete always said was he just looked for something good to happen today. And I think it worked out for Pete here. And uh, so that's kind of my basic approach is uh, what good could happen with this team. And I think, you know, a lot of good things could happen with this team. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty uh, bullish on, uh, on where USC, uh, you know, football is right now, even with, uh, you know, the transition and coaching staff. Yeah, there's been a lot of transition. Dan Weber says bye, so he's going to give you a Jim Cramer. He's going to hit that bull button, bye, 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 USC football right now. we got a lot of questions to kind of talk about it because there's there's concerns, Dan, with some of the fans. And before we jump into that, um, I want to talk to you guys. Okay, so this is kind of just a little different, a little off the beaten path for the Peristyle podcast. Dan, we're going to talk a little underwear. Is that – did you ever talk yeah. underwear on the podcast before? Yeah. Under. Good. <laughs> okay, so we actually – Hey, cool... it works for Under Armour, so I guess uh, we don't want to mention a competitor, but uh, you know, <laughs> I don't even know if they make. Under... Yeah, I don't even know if they make Under. Well, anyway, so uh, I, we were approached. Uh, I was at least at the Peristyle podcast. So it's a company called Mac Weldon, M A C K W E L D O N, and they wanted to give uh, all the Peristyle podcast listeners twenty uh, percent off of their products, the underwear products. Uh, so there's a code. Peristyle, P-E-R-I-S-T-Y-L-E. If you use the code Peristyle, you'll get 20% off your order at MacWeldon.com. So, you know, I wanted to try it out. So they said, hey, we'll send you some stuff. So they did. And uh, their, their tagline is, Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. And then I have to, I, I completely agree with it. I end up buying like a variety of different things. Because um, I try to do, I mean, I'm more of a, this is good personal, Dan. I'm more of a boxer guy. But I like when I'm working out, I like the boxer brief kind of things. So I took them down. I, the problem is I go down, I play beach volleyball and stuff. And a lot of times they'll ride up and it's kind of a pain in the butt or you're at the gym. And these things kind of, they just stick there. So they're cool. So I, I it was fun. The workout stuff, it passed that. And then just a kind of casual, 
wearing with jeans and stuff. I like that too. And then there's undershirts um, that I use that I, that I really like. And they just kind of, they fit there and they're not like rolling up the sleeves while you put your other shirt on. And uh, the socks were really cool. They stay up. So I got the, they're, they're really kind of, I got some funky colors, Dan. They're neat. They're striped ones. I don't usually get like funky colored socks, but <laughs> I tried it. I don't, are you, you wear a funky colored sock guy, Dan? Yeah, every once in a while. Although <laughs> since I've come to California, I'm a more of a no socks guy, which uh, uh, you know it's a great. Uh, the only problem there is when you leave California and you go other places, you really kind of have to make sure you get your socks back on. But right, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I would agree. Uh, uh, the boxer brief thing, uh, you know, works pretty well. And uh, yeah, I don't like those undershirts that roll up. Uh, that's 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 just uh, no way. Uh, you want that, but as you said, and I thought you uh, you said it literally, uh, some uh, underwear can be a pain in the butt. As you said, <laughs> I, it's true. And uh, I would normally go to like um, you know department stores and get it. It's always cheap, and I end up throwing it away. So this stuff is definitely better than anything you're going to wear if you want to try it out. So it's it's go to macweldon.com, twenty percent off uh, using the code Peristyle. Uh, that's what I used, and it was really cool. Um, let's check it out. So they have, uh, a lot of different stuff. They actually have hoodies and sweatpants and stuff too. If you want to try those out, the socks, like I said, I mean, they, when I put them on, they're up to my cat, you know, up on my calf, they didn't go down at all. So a lot of times you get socks and they just kind of wear out and stuff. So it was cool that they would stay up there. Um, but they have a silver, uh, a silver line of underwear and shirts that are, uh, they're antimicrobial. So that means that they don't, they eliminate odor while you're doing that. So that's kind of a cool feature and stuff too. So anyway, it's, I think you should definitely check it out. Uh, I'm loving everything I've tried from there. I think I have five different things and I loved everything from there from MacWeldon.com. but it's, it's really easy to shop, uh, free shipping. So it's pretty cool, but just go to MacWeldon.com and use the code Peristyle and you will get 20% off. And, uh, let me know, email me and let me know if you try it out. So it's kind of cool that they gave us, uh, us Peristyle podcasters, Dan, they're giving us a deal. And I never really bought like high-end underwear before. So it's kind of nice to, to try it out. I really love it. Yeah, I mean, I, everybody's going online. I mean, you, know, you hate to see what, uh, that's where the retail uh, retail world is going. And, uh, you know, with the, the way they get it to you and the, the quality that you can get, uh, um, and it's hard to beat, you know, the online stuff. You just, uh, uh, it's going to, you know, bring a revolution, though, into the retail business. I'm not sure what the uh what our malls are going to look like in uh, 20 years uh with as much as going on re- on uh, online oh man yeah i love i love buying my stuff online so it's kind of cool i i really bought underwear online so now i've done that so the next step and uh you know we're online dan because we're uscfootball.com we're parastylepodcast.com so we've been online for it's actually our 20th year at uscfootball.com so it's kind of cool um but that's what we do we talk about usc Trojan football we do it online and I uh, wanted to jump in with some of these questions because, you know, there you I, you said you're bullish, Dan, to start the show. There's a lot right. of optimism there. And we also see the fans on the Peristyle, on the message boards and, and the people that write in that, you know, there's some concern uh, over stuff that's been going on. I, I guess maybe the latest would be uh, with Austin Thomas, who USC ended up hiring away from LSU. He was at USC, worked with Monty Kiffin, worked with Ed Ordron. Um and then, you know, worked with a couple of great recruiters at LSU as well. After only three months, he kind of goes back. So we had a lot of information on that in the war room, kind of what went down behind the scenes. But maybe kind of get your take on it. And uh, is, this, is this doom and gloom for USC that Austin Thomas has gone back to LSU? You know, I, I think, first of all, I think an awful lot of it was personal. An awful lot of it was family-related. Uh, and, and a good bit of it was uh, LSU deciding how – you know, they had already lost him in their, you know, transition situation where they were losing, I guess, at least three assistant coaches. Uh, the uh, recruiting coordinator took the job at the uh, University of Texas San Antonio, and uh, Les Miles was really obviously on shaky ground. I mean, he basically was fired in December, and then, you know, they, they had to rescind the firing and, and within 24 hours. Uh, so... If you're Austin Thomas and you've got a, you know, a new child and, and, you know, you're thinking, gosh, is this the place I want to be? So came to USC and 
USC said, yeah, we'll have a place for you and give you an assistant athletic director and help you get to be uh, get to the NFL, which Austin wanted to do as a personnel director. But I think USC's recruiting organization is probably in a state of, uh, of flux. I think it's going more to a decentralized model. Uh, and do they have everybody in place exactly the way they need them, coaching-wise, uh, you know, organizational wise, uh, you know, staff support wise, probably not. I think uh, Clay decided that the first thing he had to get right was, uh, you know, the off season program, the, you know, conditioning and, and, and all the weight program, spring ball, all the coaching that goes into uh, and all the scheming and, uh, you know, game planning and all that kind of thing. Get that right first. Then, transition to you know reorganizing the the recruiting and and making more the coaches more responsible for their own recruiting their own position their own territories and i'm thinking that austin just was here at the exactly wrong time to have an uh the really good feel as to how that that was going to work i mean we still don't know exactly what his duties were he had a title that you know, the assistant athletic director uh, that also included uh, NFL relations. And, again, that's something that we haven't had at USC, uh, probably should have, except we don't know what exactly that means. So I could see when LSU came back to him, his, his uh, you know, family hadn't moved to L.A. yet uh, and apparently really liked, you know, the life in Baton Rouge is slower and, and calmer and, all of that, more of a small town, you know, kind of an atmosphere. And when they come with a, you know, three-year contract and and more money, uh, so Austin, I guess, is in a position where even if the coaching staff doesn't survive, he will. So, uh, you know, probably one of those things you say, you know what, this just makes more sense for me. I don't think it reflects all that badly on uh, on where USC is right now. Uh, I don't know that, you know, going into a more decentralized model, uh, you know, with more coaches responsible for for their own, uh, you know, recruiting is the wrong way to go for this staff. Uh, but they do need to probably figure out exactly how this is all going to work together. And they've got time. And, you know, for people to act like, oh, you, you know, nobody knows what they're doing, I think is, is an overreaction. And uh, so, you know, wasn't the greatest, uh, you know, three months, and wasn't the greatest result necessarily. But, uh, but I think it could cause their, you know, Lynn. I mean, Lynn. I keep saying Lynn instead of Clay. Uh, I think it, it, you know, help Clay focus on. Okay, this is what I really have to get done now. This is the time to figure out exactly how we're going to do this. Uh, I think we reported, for example, in the war room that. Uh, they're going to be part of 12 satellite camps. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty big jump for USC. Yeah. And, and they did that quietly. And they're going to be out there, you know, in June. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's progress, I think. And that's uh, adjusting to the time. And they're, they're going to be part of that big deal uh, camp in, uh, in Fort Worth where, uh, at TCU, where Ohio State and uh, uh, – Ohio State's going to be there, and Alabama, Alabama and USC, yeah. and TCU. Well, that's that's the kind of stuff. Somebody's making some good decisions, I think, for USC in terms of, of that kind of recruiting, and and that's uh, those are all pluses. So you know, it's not perfect, but I I think they uh, you know they're they're moving in the right direction. We'll see. We'll know more by the time you know we get through July. But uh, you know we'll we'll. Uh, we think they've got a chance to, to get this squared away, uh, you know, in, in a time where there is a lot of a lot of change going on in the whole world of college football. I mean, the recruiting landscape is, is way different, you know, than it was 12 months ago. There are a lot of things happening that you wouldn't even have guessed, you know, would have been happening. So if uh, things don't look like, well, you got them completely locked down, that's, you know, that's not to be unexpected, although when you look at what programs like Ohio State are doing, uh, Alabama's doing, Clemson's doing, Michigan is doing, 
you got to get up to speed pretty quickly. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Lynn Swan needs to really get involved with is, you know, what do, what do these guys need? What does this program need to be right in the same, you know, sentence with Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson and those people? What, what does USC need to do and how do they do it? Um, kind of a follow-up, I guess, or just, you know, it, it's along the same lines. Mark uh, from Crown City, which I'm not sure. Do you know where Crown City is? No. I don't no, know where I that know. is. Well, Crown Point in Indiana, but I'm not sure. Have to, City, we'll Google no. that uh, during uh-huh. break. Um, so Mark at Crown City, he said he's a longtime listener, first time submitting a question. So thanks for doing that, Mark. Thanks uh, for you both for the work, providing uh, continuing insights on Trojan football. Now, he's got a question that's related to the podcast I did with Gerard on Thursday, he said uh, the general tone of Thursday's podcast with uh, the state of recruiting with Gerard, he said the great Gerard Martinez and said that we commented on a number of occasions that there's, you know, uh, the process, there seems to be some disorganization and disarray. Uh, The potential recruits aren't feeling the love from Trojan coaches. The Bay area are suffering from a lack of emphasis and there's several existing commits who may soon decommit. I don't know if we said that, but uh, there's not that many commits out there to decommit really. But um, are there fundamental issues which exist on and amongst coach Helton staff that are preventing a cohesive recruiting effort? And should Trojan nation be concerned with the lack of commitments on the board and a trend, which suggests that commits in the 2017 class are starting to lean towards decommitting. Thanks again for your tireless work to educate and inform fight on Mark from crown city. You know, I think, Mark, uh, it's a kind of a normal thing when a, a new staff comes in with new ideas and new you know, thoughts and, and maybe some of the people that were kind of on the line uh, originally, maybe they have their thoughts about, you know, I'd rather this guy or that guy. Um, and so some of the ones who were maybe more involved, you know, in terms of being recruited uh, originally, are, you know, aren't as high on, say, a a new coach's list. And so, you know, if they're not hearing very much from the new coach, you can say, well, you know, there's there's not the communication going on. In some ways, that is communication. It's probably saying maybe you aren't as high on our list as you were, you know, before. And, you know, there are so many offers out, and there are so many offers, uh, you know, and Florida, for example, and Texas, I mean, places maybe that they just didn't have those numbers before, it would tell me that there's probably some reevaluation going on. And, you know, maybe uh, if you were on that list originally, you may not be as high on that list when you have, you know, new people in the mix or kind of a new way of going about things and all that. So I just think that's kind of a natural evolution. And I think we need to see how it plays out uh, while it's in process now, as opposed to assuming that, well, so-and-so hasn't heard from USC, they must just be lazy and they're not, you know, doing their job. Or there's a reason maybe they haven't heard from USC. It's because they're not as high on the list as, as maybe they once were. I mean, that's how I I would tend to look at it right now, at this, you know, at this point in time with the way, you know, this year is, with a new staff, those things happen. The uh, what, you know, we were talking before we went on air, and I think this is is an important uh, thing to realize that recruiting will likely take care of itself if the team takes care of business on the field. Um, and I think that's important. You know, if, if USC is able to win a bunch of games, I don't think it, you know some of the hiccups you might see in recruiting right now are going to have as big of an impact. Now, the other way too, if, if USC doesn't play that well. I think that you're going to rely on a lot of these relationships and stuff that you're, you're putting in, you know, all the work that's going in now. So I, I think, you know, Dan and I talked about before what's going to happen on the field is probably going to impact, you know, greatly. And if they, if they win on the field, I just don't think it's going to impact recruiting, you know, recruiting won't suffer because of that. Right. I mean, I think, you know, uh, you can't have the, you know, the, the cart push the horse. I mean, I think basically if the, uh, if they get the job done, which is what they've really been focused on, getting getting it done on the field with these players, which they think have a chance. 
and I, I tend to agree, if that happens, everything else falls in place. I mean, that's certainly the way, you know, you got to get those kids that you got a chance at right away as Pete Carroll. I mean, I think, you know, the Pete Carroll uh, program tells you what you had to do. Yeah, they had to get Sean Cody or they had to get, you know, those first couple of months they got Tommy Malone and Sean Cody and, and guys like that. And, uh, you know, that's really, and they held on to the, the guys they needed to hold on to. But uh, I think then it's a, it, at that point, the program recruits itself. Uh, if you get it right, if you, you know, are the program that these kids want to go to, if you play the way they want, they want to play. Uh, so, to me, that's the that's the most important thing. They get that done, uh, the rest of it will take care of itself. But, uh, but I, I, so, I mean, I don't think you can, uh, you know, base your program on all the stuff you do outside the program, without you know connecting it to what you're doing on the field. I think on the field, you get that done, that takes care of. Uh, the rest of it, as long as you're working at it. I mean, you have to work at it. You have to, you know, care about it. You have to communicate. You have to have something to communicate. And, you know, I think they're thinking we need to figure out who we are, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and and communicate that to the to the right kids. I mean, I, you know, for the, you know, I know that people think, gosh, uh, you know, is there some disarray or is there some, you know, lack of this or that? But when I look at the number of, you know, offers that are out there, it that just seems like they are, uh, you know, they are getting out there. There are, you know, in the mix. Uh, and if there are guys that seem to fall by the wayside, I'm almost thinking that's okay. That that's kind of what they're letting happen. You know, that they, they're not as maybe in love with some of these guys as maybe originally it was thought. And, uh, you know, they think they've got a chance to, to go somewhere else. And, uh, and, and I think that's, uh, that's just a natural, you know, thing. And I think some people, you know, if you want to be a gloom and doomer, or, uh, you know, the glass is half empty, uh, you can. But I don't think we know enough about all the specifics on all of these, uh, you know, choices that you have to make along the way uh, to, to say, oh, this is a sign of, of, of disarray or this is a sign of nobody knows what they're doing. And uh, just a quick check of Wikipedia, Dan. Crown City is a nickname for the city of Pasadena. I did not know that. Oh, absolutely never heard that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. We'll learn something every – okay, this, that's interesting. As long as Wikipedia is right, which, you know, normally. Yeah. <laughs> Crown City, okay. Crown City is Pasadena. All right. Uh, let's go. Tarek had a question. What is the latest with the players who uh, sustained injuries? Um, I'm sorry. Who sus- excuse me. I'll say that again. Sustained season-ending injuries. Will they be ready for fall camp? Well, I mean, they think they will. The players do. I mean, they're not one of those guys that doesn't think he's going to be ready. Uh, from observation, uh as we saw them in the spring, uh, as we saw them, you know, basically rehab and come to practice and all that, they certainly seem to be uh, at least on schedule or ahead of schedule, uh, you know, to be back. We won't know. I think we'll know a little bit more when they, at the end of this month, when we see them in, in summer ball. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, you got a lot of time. I know they're, they're one of the Cam Smith is the one everybody says, Oh, I don't know. That's I think, one of the things we're not used to is uh, these guys are coming back quicker. Their rehab, I mean, the surgery is, is different. I mean, I remember I think the first time, I mean, it might have been almost the first year, and they were doing that hip cartilage surgery that was really kind of rare. And, man, you were talking about like a year and a half in some of those cases. And now you have uh, a guy like a Jenny uh, uh, Harris who got both of his hips done in uh, august and september and he looks like you know you couldn't even begin to tell that you know, he's had had that surgery so i'm more on the optimistic side about guys coming back now i just think they do uh we saw maybe lamar dawson didn't really uh get back uh the way everybody hoped he would 
But I think in most cases, guys are coming back, uh, you know, uh, quicker than uh, than we expected and quicker than we're used to just because of the, you know, the techniques and the equipment and the rehab uh, uh, programs and all of that uh, are getting them back. But, yeah, I wouldn't think right now I don't have a sense that I'm I have a worry about any of those guys not being back. I, I think I think they're all going to be back. All right, let's go Neil and Manila. He says, what are the things that Sam Darnold needs to improve on other than his knowledge of the offense and leadership? Thanks and fight on. Our buddy Neil over in Manila. Well, I just think he just needs to play. I mean, I just think, for example, he's really athletic and he can take off. I mean, he, he looks like a tight end slash linebacker kind of a guy, but he's got quick, quick, light feet. And <clears throat> there are times I think maybe – he gives up on the play a little bit of the pass a little bit sooner than uh, than you'd like, uh, but I think you know the good news is he's not throwing it into coverage, and he puts a, he tucks the ball away and says, "Okay, I'll get three or four yards here, and uh, and we'll you know go to the next play." Uh, but if I had to say, you know, that would be, and that's a kind of a, the typical thing that you're going to see. Uh, you know, from a guy who this is basically his first real serious uh, college football action is that comfort level in the pocket that, uh, you know, I'll just, I can, you know, I've got another tick or so here uh, before I have to make a, make a decision. But, but other than that, and, and the whole, you know, that Clay talked about the idea that uh, not only understanding what he's doing, but why he's doing it, why things are happening, uh, why this will be if if you see this and this happens then this is what's going to be the result this is where the ball is going to have to go that kind of thing uh, but uh, but I like the you know I like it that he kind of sees the whole field I just you know, that's something that you often really have to work on with the young guy but he I think some of that is with the offense the offense is geared to allow you to see more of the field immediately uh, than I think in the past. And, and you don't have to necessarily go uh, one progression to the next progression to the next progression. It kind of uh, develops almost immediately where you see it. They're going to have the options. I mean, and that's what happens when you've got the tight end in the mix, for example. It gives you one more, uh, one more look, one more quick look that you didn't have in the past. And uh, so, and you know where all those different looks are going to be, and you try to put yourself in a situation where you've got more of those than they've got people who can defend those. And uh, so, I think that's that's kind of happening uh, naturally. But uh, I just think that just general comfort level, because uh, his skill set, you know, is just uh, amazing. That uh, no one had a. I don't think anybody had a sense of what that skill set was until we saw him walk on the, you know, last summer and thought, whoa, man, this kid can do a whole lot of things. And he throws the ball way, way, way better than we ever thought he would do. And then he did the same thing at spring ball. Uh, the coaches, I think, were, uh, you know, kind of as amazed as we were at uh, uh, just what his uh, – what his ceiling is. I mean, he's just uh, got a lot of talent. And so uh, I just think he's got to play. He just got to play and got to see a lot of things. Uh, and uh, I thought they brought him along well in the spring. I don't think they, uh, you know, in terms of the blitzes and things like that, I think they did much more of that against uh, Max and much more with the first team defense, uh, which is what you would expect. And, and I thought they, uh, they gave uh, uh, Sam – a chance to really get a feel of things and not get overwhelmed. And uh, I think that, that does happen at times with quarterbacks where you, you know, give them almost too much to handle <clears throat> with the defense. And, uh, you know, they get kind of, you know, overwhelmed a little bit. And that didn't happen at all. So, so I think he's on, uh, on, a, on a good, you know, timetable as far as, uh, you know, getting up to speed. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's all he's got to do is play. All right, let's go. Uh, let's see. We have a question. It says, hi, Ryan. With summer approaching, it's time for players-only workouts. 
can you tell us who will be leading these workouts and how long they can practice on your own, on their own? Hmm. On their own, they can practice as much as they want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, they and, and last year, for example, they practiced a lot more than we ever saw them because uh, you had Cody and uh, and uh, Max Turk were roommates, and uh, you know, or the year before, they uh, Nelson Aguilar was in that room, and those guys would go out, you know, day after day, just boom, you know, whenever they had a quorum, they just say, let's go, you know, let's go throw. You also have the quarterbacks uh, who have their own quarterback coaches that, you know, tend to go off and work on their own. Uh, but uh, uh, I would guess they'll, it'll be the three or four times a week uh, that they'll, they'll combine it with, uh, with the uh, uh, conditioning and strength. Uh, they're allowed to have, I guess, the coaches are now allowed to be there two hours a week uh, and work with them. Uh, and we're not allowed to be there when they do that. But um, uh, I think it'll be very comparable to this year. And I think Max will be will be the leader. I think uh, uh, Juju will be a a big big part of that. Um, trying to think who else would probably be. I think Chris Hawkins will be a, a big part of that. Um, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, Zach Banner. It, it, is kind of a leader in his own way, uh, and how much you know you combine the offensive lineman with the uh, with the throwing sessions uh, is uh, is kind of an interesting how they work that out. I thought uh, <clears throat> they felt like in the winter session they had more guys show up than they've ever had in a in a winter session. Uh, so if that carries over, you know, to the summer, uh, we'll we'll see maybe. Who steps up on the offensive line? I think that's that's a good question uh, uh, as to as to how that offensive line uh, you know steps up on defense because you, you know when they do a lot of the seven on seven stuff, um, it'll be interesting to see where the linebackers shake out in terms of you know does, does Cameron Smith even though he's a younger guy does he you know as the you know the guy in the middle, does he kind of take over uh, health-wise? Is he ready to go to do that? Uh, who are those those guys? I, I think this this will be an interesting year in terms of transition of leaders. Uh, and I think we're kind of all interested in seeing, uh, I mean, some of the leaders, some of the leading players are kind of the quiet uh, type guys that don't, you know, exert their, uh, you know, they don't do it verbally so much. Uh, so it will be a, uh, something to watch for this, this summer as to who kind of steps up and says this is how we're going to do things. I think without a doubt, Max and Juju are going to be, uh, you know, two of the guys that, that will definitely step up. And I would guess Chris Hawkins. All right. Uh, oh, and so he went on. Um, so, so he had a little bit more to that. He said, my son, John. So this is from, this is Dan from the class of 1962. He likes to write in. He said, my son, John, said to tell you that I am, quote unquote, Dan from the class of 1962, not just Dan from 1962. He is a stickler for accuracy. Well, Dan, that's what you wrote in your email. So I was just reading what you wrote. Um, He says, thanks for all the great information about our Trojans. Also, a bit off the subject of football. Why doesn't USC have a cross-country team so that they can recruit distance runners like Oregon, being that the track scholarships are limited to 12? That's a good question. For some reason, I thought you had, and I, I'm not an expert on this, but I thought the track and, and cross country were combined. Uh, that the scholarship numbers, uh, that it didn't necessarily help you to have a cross country. I may be wrong there, but that it didn't necessarily help to uh, uh, to have a cross country team in terms of extra scholarships. Uh, but um, I'll, to, I'll do a little checking on that. I, I, that I don't know. Uh, whatever they could do to get some, uh, you know, some distance runners would probably be a really good thing. Uh, and I know, obviously, USC with the, uh, you know, private school, big tuition, high tuition, uh, is it is really limited when when it comes to the sports, uh, you know that where they don't even give you enough scholarships to have one person in each event, or they don't give you enough scholarships in baseball to have one scholarship 
for every player you have to have, you know, to put on the field, that kind of thing. It makes it really tough. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm trying to think. We had a conversation about that once with uh, some of the uh, track people as to how the cross country can be folded in with track and scholarships and all that. I don't know absolutely what the answer was, but uh, but we'll check on that, Dan, and uh, and try to give you an answer. But I, uh, if they could do that, I think it would be the way to go. I know one of the things Pat Hayden talked about one day was that for each additional program, what was the number he he gave? Was it one or two? Maybe I think it was two million dollars that you figured on if you know if you add another sport you're adding about two million dollars to the budget so i know that is a uh that's a consideration i don't know if that would apply you know when you're talking about uh, uh a cross-country program but uh but i know that that's also a consideration yeah i mean it's really expensive uh, and we, you know, we talked about adding women's teams and he's, it, they were like, well, there's different rules. He got, it was like, no, it had nothing to do with that. It's all about money. It's just really expensive. So, um, let's see. Yeah, we my had, choice a, would be, yeah, my choice would be, I'd like to see him, uh, add, uh, add women's softball. I, I gotta find a place for women's softball. And I just think they could become a powerhouse in women's softball almost immediately. Um, um, I mean, I think the one thing is that USC has, will have such an advantage because you're not talking about baseball where the kids that you're signing all want to go to be major leaguers. There's just really nowhere, uh, you know, for softball players, what they're looking for is to, uh, is to uh, basically uh, get a really good college education. And uh, so that, that really benefits USC. Yeah. I mean, you're not, you know, trying to, you know, establish uh, kids in the, uh, you know, they're going to go to the major leagues. So they're not going to look into leave you. They don't think, well, I can go to this school or this school or this school and get to the majors. With the, uh, uh, you know, with softball, they're really looking for where can I get the best education and get a really good program. So softball would always be my uh, – my, uh, you know, program that I'd like to see him add. Yeah. And I, find a place to play. Yeah. That's when I asked him, I asked Pat Hayden about it. And it was basically, it wasn't about like the place to play or all, it was about money. And, uh, it's a shame cause they would have a top 25 program the, the minute they announced it, the minute. Without a doubt. Yeah. And you know, they've gone, you know, you see what they've done in lacrosse and women's, uh, beach volleyball and water polo. I think his softball would, would be right there. It would just move right in that direction. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, we had a question from Rich in Rockland, California, about Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick. We still get these. Uh, is it my understanding that he's completely off the team now? Is that accurate? Is he still in school there? Really a shame as I watched him play growing up and in high school. If he is gone, do you know where he landed? Just curious. Could have been great at USC. I hope all is well from Rich. Yeah, that's one of the, the stranger stories that uh, we just he just sort of faded away, and they you know basically didn't um, you know give us any information about what happened. There were you know some off the field things, and we heard you know some family things, and just uh, that made it you know difficult for him to to stay with football. There were some academic things, and uh, you know we'll keep. We'll keep asking, but when you ask, no one seemed to really know exactly what happened. Uh, it was a combination of things, and and then he was gone. And you know, there were he would work out, and then then he wouldn't work out. And yeah, I mean, one of the more unusual, just sort of semi disappearance. Yeah, just a strange. Strange situation overall. Um, but yeah, he's don't, uh, yeah, don't hold out hope for seeing Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick anytime soon. Uh, yeah, he's, not on the, he's certainly not on the roster. No. Let's see. Uh, Tarek had a question. If you were Sua Cravens' coach, would you have told them it was best to leave or come back for one more 
year and find a true position to play? And some of the NFL people I've talked to said they would have advised him to stay. But some of the others, I mean, you know, here's what he was getting. He was getting um, advice. Half half the NFL people were looking at him as a linebacker. Half of them were looking at him as a safety. Uh, How do you know, if you're a kid, how do you know who you are, what you, you know, what, what you should weigh or, or anything else, or should you work out or not? The good news for Sua is he landed with the Redskins with Joe Barry and that they already have a position for him. And, you know, he's going to be the kind of, uh, you know, big hitting, uh, you know, safety who can play in the box, which is what he's, you know, that's, he's, I think he's got to be a safety, but I think he's also got to be able to play in the box. And that's what they've got a spot for him already. And I think uh, Joe knew about Sua when Joe was at USC and knew how, you know, they were recruiting him and what they thought of him. So I think it could have turned out not so well. And I think it's turned out really well for him. But that's the, you know, the luck of the draw in the NFL. You know, sometimes you go to a place where, where you uh, are destined to be and everything, like, you know, Troy Palomalu in Pittsburgh, where you end up, you could be Matt Leinart and go to a, you know, a program where the next coach they hire has no use for you, at, you know, at, in, uh, at the Cardinal. So, you know, it, I think Sue is going to come out all right. I'm really enthused about where he is. But probably not knowing that, I probably would have told him to to stay with Clancy, get yourself a position, and and get yourself drafted as you know as high as you could. But it's worked out pretty well, so you know maybe that would have been bad advice. I don't know. Um, and then we also had a uh, question from John in Portland, kind of NFL style too. How much money will the Trojans make who sign free agent deals with NFL teams? Seemed like a high percentage of our departing players. Did sign NFL contracts, even guys who were not consistent starters. Is this a plus for recruiting? That if you come to USC, you will most likely have a shot to make it the NFL, or do potential recruits only focus on the number of Trojans selected during the draft? That's John in Portland. I'm not sure it goes year to year. I think the best USC has recruiting for it is it still has the the most uh, first round draft picks, uh, most overall, I guess number one or tied for that and the most uh, NFL draft picks altogether. I think that more than anything that fluctuates year to year, uh, I think really matters. Uh, So, you know, I would look at that. I don't know. Do they pay attention to all the free agent guys? I would say most of those kids are not thinking that, oh, well, if I, you know, don't get to do exactly what I want to do in college, I can still be a free agent. I mean, they, there are so many free agents signed that I would say that probably doesn't tilt the scale. But, but USC does have, you know, that historic advantage that they've, you know, had more people signed and more first-rounders signed and all that than anybody. And, uh, and you can bet they push that. When they talk to kids, they all hear that and they all know that, that you're not going to get overlooked at USC. And, you know, these kids think I'm going to, you know, I'll be the one that, you know, they'll, uh, they'll see me and I'll show them what they can do. And, uh, uh, being at USC clearly over, you know, history has been, you know, uh, as good a place or the best place in the country to be. All right. We've got a couple more. We'll let you go, Dan. Derek in Redondo Beach, where I am sitting right now. I'm in Redondo Beach. Uh, great show. Thanks for all the hard work. I've heard a few rumors that USC will be ditching the alternate helmets with the chrome face mask. Is that true? I think the helmets look great with the white jerseys, especially at night under the lights. Many of the traditionalists probably disagree, though. Also, how are the Kentucky guys adjusting to Los Angeles? Neil Calloway doesn't strike me as an L.A. guy. I doubt he's ever had to deal with the 405 or 110 freeway commuting to work. I imagine it's a big adjustment. Just wondering if you had any insight into their acclamation. Thanks again for the great podcast, Derek and Redondo Beach. Yeah, I'm getting the same sense that the uh, the Chrome 
shiny chrome look is is gone, and they're going to go, you know, just like, I mean, the neatest thing I think in the world, that opening game, Alabama's going to be wearing the same uniforms they wore when Bear Bryant was starting out coaching there and you know, whatever it was, late 50s. Uh, uh, go watch LSU play. They're wearing the same uniforms that they wore when the Chinese bandits helped them win a national championship, whatever it was, 58. Uh, I really like that. I think that, that to me, uh, Notre Dame, I think, looks good when they go back to the, you know, the basic blue and, you know, metallic gold helmets. Uh, and I think USC looks, you know, we, we also understand they're getting rid of the Black Sox. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> they're getting rid of the Black Sox. And I was watching the USC-UCLA game last year, and both teams wearing those ugly black socks that had nothing to do with the cardinal and gold or the, the blue and gold, and thinking, man, oh, man, what? So, so we're making some progress there. Um, I'm trying to think. The other – the other question, Ryan, other than the the look, was uh, what was the other question? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the uh, the alternate uniforms. Okay, the Neil Calloway. Um, oh, no, no, the yeah. the Kentucky guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we Kentucky guys. I'm believe it or not, I'm a way more of a Kentucky guy than those guys. They just were in Bowling Green for a few years, but. Uh, at Western Kentucky, uh, Neil says he loves. I mean, he he was looking at his office window the day I was there and just said, "Look at this campus." He said, "It's like the most beautiful place I've ever been." Now, obviously, Neil, you know, coached at Auburn and Alabama and Georgia, and was head coach at UAB, and so you know, and UAB is a, a real urban campus. Uh, so he'd been, you know, this is. Obviously, this is this is a different place, but from what I could tell, he loved it. And 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 Tyson Helton, I think this is uh, he just loves it here. I mean, these those two uh, just think you know how it can't get any better than this. Uh, so no, I, I don't think you know. And I I think the coaches don't have to fight too much traffic. I mean, they're coming in so early. Uh, traffic is not one of their problems. Yeah. Uh, JC in South Orange County, any word yet on how the Coliseum turf logos will look like now that we have a Sunday tenant, i.e. the Rams, and will the Trojan signature end zones and midfield logo remain, or will they go with the generic turf design? Can't remember how they managed this when the Raiders were here. Keep up the good work, JC in South Orange County. It's a good question, and, and we're going to do some more work on the whole Coliseum transition uh, design uh, they've only got a couple of games where they go back to back. I think it's two two days, and there are some others where there's another day. But I think there are two where they do the overnight. And I was, uh, believe it or not, I was Knight Stadium superintendent uh, for the Reds and the Bengals in Cincinnati at Riverfront Stadium, and uh, they had turf. We had turf, and man, we used uh, we used some fairly harsh chemicals to get that. Uh, it was a day when I don't think they really worried too much about the players' uh, safety uh, uh, in, in terms of that. I'm not sure exactly. I think it's a little easier to wash it out of out of the grass, but uh, I mean, I, but then you have to paint it. You have to if you do that, then you have to repaint it, and you you know no matter how fast you know if you washed it and then repaint it. Uh, does it dry fast enough? You know, you don't want it coming off on uniforms and and, and that kind of thing. That's a real. That's a good question. I know one thing. Apparently, the Trojans, the word Trojans, won't be on the field because right. that's been taken out of the logo. So you'll just see the SC. But I find it hard to imagine that USC would give up the ability to have uh, you know the SC logo at midfield. And I think you can probably get that off pretty quickly. What you're going to do about the end zones, I don't know. Do they make them both gold and uh, let the ramp, you know, and then, then just do the um, either the cardinal or the blue? I don't think USC fans would much uh, appreciate seeing too much blue and gold in those end zones, though. So that's a, uh, we've asked some questions. 
and we haven't gotten any specific answers yet as to how that's going to work, but uh, but we will. We'll find out because it's going to be very long, and uh, it's going to be happening. And some of that's kind of trial and error. That stuff, you know, in terms of the equipment that you've got and the hoses and the high pressure and how you get, you know, how you get that paint and that dye and all of that uh, uh, out of there because most of that is not done uh, – uh, so that you can paint and then repaint or paint and get rid of it and then repaint it uh, another color. So some of that's trial and error, and there may be some of, you know, some of that trial and error. Luckily, they do get a chance to see how that would work in the uh, preseason where they may have a little more time to, to figure out the right answers. But uh, good question. No answer yet. Yeah, I do remember, you know, even when I was a student, you could see, like, like the Raider stuff, like, you know, below, you could, you know, it was like kind of painted over and painting over black wasn't always easy. Um, but, that, you know, it, it was never, it wasn't perfect, at least when I remember when I was a student. So I'm not sure what, what kind of, they, what they can do now. That was a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, there's, you know, harsh chemicals and things like that. I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do. Right. And then it, it tends to, you know, sink down to the roots and, and to the ground level and is not, necessarily an easy way to get it out at that really you know bottom level i mean you don't want to wash away you know the grass or the dirt or you know uh, i i don't think it'll be perfect i'll just say that yeah. uh and what kind of compromise there'll be you know do the rams have to have a uh, a center of the field logo i'm not sure that they absolutely do um where you know it just seems like it's much more of a college thing uh and maybe you can put them in different spots you know on the you know the corners of the field and that kind of thing what they do with the end zone i think is the big question that's a lot of paint and uh how they get that right we'll see all right we got one last one this was a long one dan uh appreciate it we haven't had you on for a little bit but john wrote in said, I'm wondering if Dan Weber can uh, talk about the direct link between the NCAA taking down USC and the growth and dominance of the SEC over the past 10 years. The two appear linked. This year's draft was painful to track as a USC fan. Taking down USC was step one in the process. Keeping USC down was a very important to USC's former commissioner, Mike Slive, as for Mr. Parody himself, Larry Scott. In your opinion, how important is this game versus Alabama and USC's return to prominence? It's an incredible opportunity to send a message to the rest of the Pac-12 and to the nation that USC is back. This feels like the most important game in the last 10 years. Is that how you think all USC fans should view this opportunity? Thanks for your time. I look forward to the summer long buildup up to September 3rd. Fight on, John in Brea, California. Yeah, John, I think the the word you used, opportunity, is correct. That was what made Pete Carroll. Pete Pete realized, you know, when those opportunities came, and they did, uh, he took advantage of them. Uh, Unfortunately, the reaction was uh, to take USC down in an unprecedented manner that had to be inspired by uh, uh, programs, conferences all over the country. I mean, I, I always tell people this, that, those schools knew if they were as dominant as USC was, if they'd have had three Heisman Trophy winners in four years, if they'd have won 34 straight games, all of that, uh, if they'd won six out of seven BCS games, they knew how much cheating they would have had to do. I mean, they, they all knew. If we're this good, we were really going to be cheating a lot. So they assumed USC must be cheating. Therefore, they basically decided USC was guilty. And here's the penalty, which uh, maybe is the one thing we can thank Paul D for. He wanted to get off the hook with Miami having the, the most, uh, you know, the, the largest modern penalty. So they basically said, well, we got to give them more than we gave Miami. And then they said, well, it'll be easy to find all that, uh, all the stuff that USC did, you know, had been doing, you know, if they're cheating like that. And then they went for four years. Couldn't find anything, unfortunately. But now they were stuck because they were pretty much committed 
to giving uh, the other conferences what they wanted, which was USC scout. So push came to shove. What did they have to do? They had to frame Todd McNair so that they could give the USC the maximum penalty. And this is not me saying this. This is two California courts who have said that the NCAA, in order to give USC the maximum penalties that the NCAA wanted to give USC, had to tie it to a member of the staff. So they just tagged uh, Todd McNair, said, you're it. And that's what obviously is playing out in this lawsuit. But, but yeah, and, and there are people who would say, you know, the NCAA gets 800 and some million dollars a year from CBS for a basketball tournament that's probably not as valuable as it used to be when you had guys play, you know, through their senior year. Uh, one and done basketball isn't as great as, but they're still getting the 800 million a year. There are those who theorize that because CBS also has the SEC TV contract and makes a ton of money on SEC football, that CBS and the NCAA probably really like the idea of the SEC going to the top and not being challenged, not getting their, you know, the way Auburn did when they played USC, the way Arkansas did when they played USC, the way Oklahoma, for example, did in the, in the Orange Bowl championship game. Uh, they didn't want to see that anymore. That would be embarrassing. That would make the uh, SEC-CBS contract not probably as valuable. So there are those who theorize that it was kind of a cooperative venture to make things much more valuable for CBS, who gives the NCAA all that money for basketball, and make a lot of it up in football. So... That's what some people theorize. I don't know. Might be an interesting way to to look at things, but uh, uh, we see what happened. We see what happened to USC. We see what happened to Todd McNair. We see what happened to the SEC. And we think, well, I wonder if there's a connection here. I think there just might be. Very well, good. All right. Well, that's a good one to end on. Thanks, John and Brea, for sending that one in. And thank you, Dan for coming on and talking USC football and uh, it's always good. So I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe a little downtime and then the summer workouts start and we'll be right back at it. And before you know it, fall camp is here in the season. Yep. And always good to end up on the NCAA. Yeah. <laughs> on the NCAA. When we understand, start looking for it. If, if there's no settlement, uh, which it looks like they're really going to be hard to come up with one because of the dollars that they would have to pay at this point in time, even though they probably really don't want to go to court uh, after the first of the year. So after USC finishes in the college football playoffs in January, uh, the Todd McNair case comes along to keep everybody interested through the winter. So that will be our uh, dream scenario for the next uh, six or eight months. Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's great stuff. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. And I hope you guys enjoyed the Peristyle podcast. Don't forget, go to MacWeldon.com. Use the code Peristyle. You'll get 20% off awesome underwear. Great products there. So check it out. Just go to MacWeldon.com. You can check it out for yourself. And then if you like anything, 20% off using the code Peristyle. So thanks for that. Let me know. Drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com if you like it. Hope uh, everything's good for everybody out there. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate 
estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 